we cannot just come and cut us and say, okay, these people with their idea of human rights, with idea of democracy, we cut them. Now there is nothing. So they, they are removed. So we can, you know, we can just do whatever we want. No, it's not. We have a root there. We have strong roots that just uh, flourishing one day. And these are the everyday efforts of different people, different groups. I think it's watering those roots to, to just one day they come up and they show resistance. Based out of the University of the Fraser Valley on unceded traditional lands of the Stolo people, we are the Community Health and Social Innovation Hub, or CHASI for short. We support the social, mental, emotional, physical, and economic health of those living in our communities by bringing together experts from across disciplines. Those experts have some incredible stories and insights. To share those with the communities we serve, we bring you the Chassis Cast, a monthly program where we drill down on a current topic and chat about how it impacts our lives. So my name is Chelsea Clausen, and I am the lead researcher at the Community Health and Social Innovation Hub, and you're listening to the Chassis Cast today. Today, we're joined by Fatima Amadi. She is one of my dear friends and a fierce advocate for women's rights in Afghanistan, as well as a peace builder in that country, too. Fatima, would you like to introduce yourself today? Yeah. Thank you very much, Chelsea, and the team uh, there for having me today for your program. Uh, I feel so honored to be part of this uh, podcast. As you introduced, I'm Fatima Ahmadi and I'm from Afghanistan. Uh, right now, I'm a adjunct professor and also fellow with American University School of Public Affairs. Well, thank you for joining us. Today, when we're, when we're taping the podcast, it's August 15th, 2023 two years since the Taliban took over Afghanistan. And Fatima, um, I just want to give you the opportunity since it is, you know, this anniversary. What would you like people to know about that day? Well, as uh, many of friends of Afghanistan could imagine, and people who were in, inside of Afghanistan, it was a very sad and difficult moment to, to handle for, for all of us. Because it was unexpected and very um, unplanned. And we were so hopeful for changes in, in country after, you know, like 20 years on investment, 20 years of, of um, you know, people coming to the country from neighboring countries and just being part of the communities that we built together and just seeing, you know, just blinking you with a blink of eyes, it, it was just uh, going away, and you 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 you're there to see it, and it was really hard, really painful, to see all of that happening in front of your eyes, and you cannot do anything. Um, and that day, um, what I did, I just uh, because I knew many of my friends, international friends, will will leave and. I needed to say goodbye to them. I went to visited many of them and, and just, um, it was a hard day, very sad. Well, I, every time I remember how I passed the day, I'm like, how I even now alive after just um, going through that uh, difficult time. But um, we, 
we had a lot of cuddlings. We had of we had a lot of cries that they oh, we were not expecting to see that for Afghanistan. So, yeah, it it was hard and still, um, it's very hard. Uh, alongside the hope that we have still for the country because, um, because of this uh, young generation that they really want to see a different peaceful Afghanistan and uh, want to see that people living there with dignity in peaceful life. I know the work that you were doing before you had to leave was around peace building. So maybe would you mind sharing a little bit about the work that you were doing before you had to leave around peace building? Yeah, my experience growing up in a region laid up with the conflicts and instability and extremism and all this, these concepts of uh, difficulties. Yet my interaction showed me resilience, a resilient individual that is striving for peace and for different country and community for themselves and for the people who are living there. And uh, it actually influenced my commitment to peace building a lot. And uh, my personal experience and uh, professional endeavors just highlighted the significance of uh, conversation, dialogues, and comprehending each other's sorrow and suffering. Because I believe throughout the history of Afghanistan, each person and each each person part of the community experienced um, so many painful events in Afghanistan. And if we talk about different range of um, unjust in Afghanistan, we, we can mention about Hazara genocide uh, in late eight, 18th century that just continued this ongoing and systematic ethnic cleansing previously under the previous regime and also under this Taliban that's still happening with, with different reasons. And uh, it's very important to to understand that even with that horrible experience, we have other communities in Afghanistan that also in last 20 years, for example, we, we saw that attacks happen uh, to government institutions, to hospitals, to, to education centers and different places that people were feeling, uh, you know, people actually should feel secure to be to be there, but it was not secure for anyone to be in that places. And these experiences actually really changed the Afghanistan situation. And I believe that even uh, that now that some people claim that Afghanistan is peaceful, I believe it's not because we don't have that life with uh, uh, that everyone feel uh, they are part of the, the this uh, this community. They are they they feel safe to be there. They they uh, they are you know in, included in part of, in 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 this society. So what actually we what we have done in Afghanistan you know, before this transfer of power uh, in August twenty twenty one, we were hoping to engage more voices with peace building to find ways. How, for example, how we can find community-led solutions for conflicts for each community. Because 
different regions and zones in Afghanistan, they have different problems and conflicts. So we had provincial dialogues, we had women's talk, we had different programs for different levels. Journalists, we have, you know, international uh, organizations who, uh, you know, work with us as a partner to to train people, for example, in, in war and peace uh, journalism. And how negotiation, for example, for 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 women who were part of the negotiation table, and it was mainly our efforts mainly focused on bottom up peace building because it's important that people in communities understand why why we need to you know to work together for peace and building that fundamental understanding was there the um, the you know the start of our work and uh, by just adopting this foundation um i think we can establish a framework for uh for just understanding each other and also it is important imperative that um we remove all of these uh, you know obstacles in front of our, us to to understand to to you know just uh understand that the big goal and the, the, the big problems and uh, that ideology shouldn't be in Afghanistan and should be should be removed from from the uh, society so we can see you know uh, Afghanistan flourishing and it's not only the, the issue within Afghanistan it's a broader regional issue it's a it's a global issue because it's not is the harmful practices that they just implementing right now in Afghanistan is it's not going to stay there and it's expanding globally and uh, that's why I think peace building and the approach for peace building in Afghanistan should be continued and not as a project project not as a program to implement for a uh, small you know endeavor and then finish it and and then go for another one I. I believe it should be a very um, comprehensive way to to just uh, first making that pillar and uh, make the people to 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 just uh, see that peaceful vision and peaceful society for themselves. Yeah, that's really good, Fatima. Thanks for sharing that. What experiences in your life? You talked a little bit about you know the regional um, your experiences regionally. What experiences in your life have shaped your perspective on on working in peace and conflict in Afghanistan? Well, that is very uh, interesting uh, question. Well, I I was um, I was a refugee, and the, the whole childhood of myself uh, passed as a refugee. I didn't have a status because of this conflict. My my entire family and my relatives have to had to leave Afghanistan during different conflicts uh, and related to different uh, groups. And uh, because of leaving as a refugee in other countries, I had difficult time to, you know, to even shape that identity. And um, as a, as a, Af- a person, a person from Afghanistan. When I returned to Afghanistan, I I just saw that I can I can feel that I'm part of this society. I can find a place to 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 you know to 
just inject myself and find um, smaller spot for myself and uh, practice what I learned from my family, from my relatives and from my past and just be myself and just show it to the, to the community easily and freely, openly and say, okay, this is and this is a woman from Hazara ethnic uh, tribe, for example. And this is the educated woman who returned to Afghanistan. But what I was feeling that missed so much in Afghanistan and lacked for, for many, many years, uh, it was that uh, when I leave my home, when I leave my office, I feel that I'm reaching to another uh, destination, not being being attacked by by insurgent groups. So that feeling stayed with me for a while. And then I, when I work with an organization called Hager International on um, helping disadvantages group, especially women and children. And I see every day, not just experiencing myself because of discomfort being a refugee, I saw day, um, people uh, have to go through so many hard experience because of this conflict. We didn't have a proper system of protection for children. We didn't have a proper system of protecting women and minorities and groups, vulnerable groups, like, for example, old people. So all of these categories showed me how this conflict impacting and influencing daily life of all people in Afghanistan. So that's why it pushed me more, pushed me more to um, to see that peaceful thing is important and I need to join this, uh, this effort in Afghanistan. And when I decided to join uh, USIP office, I, I just seeing that women's voices are not heard, women's are not part of the negotiation. And, uh, and I personally, I'm so, dedicated to women's rights and I, I see I saw that we should be you know we should be pushed harder for for including women so that's why I, I just started that part of my life after doing um, yeah other other activities so you touched on you know different groups of people being impacted by conflict in different ways and that's not a phenomenon unique to Afghanistan. That does happen in other countries that are facing conflict as well. But one of the unique parts of the conflict in Afghanistan, and particularly with the recent Taliban takeover, is the issue of women's education and the Taliban's ban on women at university and girls older than grade three attending school. So I wonder if you might be able to tell our listeners a little bit about the challenges that women are facing in Afghanistan now, given the Taliban regime, and how you've heard that has impacted their lives. Yeah, sure. You know, this um, the ban on education is mm, very personally also touching my uh, my heart because, you know, I, I'm, I so believe uh, in um, profound, you know, transformative kind of power of education for women, because in uh, countries like Afghanistan, women have 
access to limited opportunities and resources. And it's very important to have that education. And I witnessed firsthand the life-altering impact of education for my life. Because I mentioned earlier, I lived as a refugee. And I just, every day I was singled out from the classmate, from class to stay home because there is no confirmation for you as a refugee to, to come and study. And it happened until I got my 12th uh, grade, finished that. Uh, and it just, it was hard to manage that situation because I was not sure tomorrow I can continue studying or not. And during these uh, years that has without a proper education or proper understanding of, uh, of the system, education system, many of the students that uh, from Afghanistan, from fellow students were studying with me, they forced into early marriages and uh, it actually stopped them from educational aspirations. And these numerous challenges happened, you know, had to just went with me until until the, the universities. And even the, before the university, I had uh, the same experience because first, we were not allowed to, to go to universities because of that refugee status. Second, they, in some years, they were opening some small doors for, for refugees to, to do the exam. And then they were saying, oh, you should have to pay three times more or you know, refugees have to pay this amount. And I didn't have that money. I, my family didn't have that money. So I had to sew shoes for, for many you know, months uh, to, to just collect that money. And I just understand how, when I mentioned earlier about my fellow students af- from Afghanistan that I got married, I see that impact in Afghanistan right now. Because and I talked to some of the girls that I knew before uh, you know, this situation, uh, many of them they got married because there's no there's no hope for them to see a change, uh, or tomorrow they they can go to school under this uh, this uh, Taliban regime, and uh, it's it's not a it's not a perfect situation. It's it's uh, it's really when I when I see from different angles is uh, these Taliban are um, systematically discriminating women and systematically depriving women from education and from other opportunities. You you just asked earlier, how is the situation for women? It's not promising. It's not a situation that other women in other parts of the world face. And we we just have, okay, you know, like some solution that work in other parts of the world so we can implement it here. This is completely a new uh, new uh, phenomenon that we, we just uh, faced in Afghanistan. And what we see every day, they're just putting a new limitation on women. And uh, they're just diminishing all of the public spheres on women and diminishing all of the opportunities for, for women to socialize. And they, when they came to power, actually, well, they dismantled all, so many laws and abolished so many laws, for example, the law on eliminating women, violence against women or the Convention uh, of Elimination Discrimination against, against Women. These are not only simple laws that you know we talk about, because in previous government, women and the civil society tried so hard to just bring all of these changes in Afghanistan because of this 
laws and the, you know, when institutions like Ministry of Women's Affairs, we, we, we brought some, some sort of protection for women in Afghanistan. And right now there's no, no protective system. And they dismantle all of these laws, policies, and you know they they just replace with with, with limitation until as of June twenty twenty three they just they have released more than sixty decrees and uh, directives to just hinder women from public life. Which is when we talk here, which is, it seems so silly, but it's it's just everyday life in Afghanistan. I'm just telling you some of them, and uh, we have, you know, I mentioned more than 60. It's just, they're just going to very personal aspect of women's life in Afghanistan. And they think how they can just put another limitation for women and feel better for themselves. On August 25, 2021, they, when they came to power, they said women stay home for safety reason. And they mentioned, our soldiers are not, you know, prepared to see women in public life, it's fierce. And then they, on December 2021, they stopped women from traveling more than 45 miles without a male relative. On December 20, they just completely banned women from education, attending actually public and private universities. And then the December last year, they stopped women from NGOs uh, working with NGOs, and and they they didn't stop there. Actually, they they gone far beyond that, and they imposed the bans on sectors such as bakeries, medical centers, beauty salons, and small businesses. And it's impacting not only the the daily life of women because it's 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 a direct impact for women's not having financial stability and financial capacity to to buy stuff and you know to 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 just uh, pay uh, for the life that they want. It's also impacting the economic of country. Forty more than forty percent uh, loss for the GDP growth in, in Afghanistan happened after the span. And it's going beyond that, you know, when we think about Afghanistan economy, it's, it's just, it's just grappling and it's continued because women are, you know, part, part of this society. They should be part of this, uh, the, the economy and also the part of this uh, workforce. And I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a new, it's a new system that it's a new ideology, I, I would say, that's, uh, Afghanistan and specifically women in Afghanistan are just fighting every day with that and uh, with different ways they are trying to to show to the world that VR exists and and yeah they should hear them yeah I was my follow-up question Fatima was how are women resisting well you know maybe uh, some of the listeners uh, heard about uh, groups in Afghanistan that after the collapse, they uh they came to the streets they marched you know in different um, streets of Kabul and some of the provinces and they demanded they demanded political participation women's rights and uh their their presence in society and also in government which which are in my view are powerful messages to the world and to the to the people of Afghanistan that women right now in Afghanistan understand their rights and they they know what they want and uh they they're fighting for it 
So uh, how they're resisting, we had different coalition, you, you know, movements that they have shaped over the, after the August 2021. And uh, right now, because of their crackdown of the Taliban and women's uh, protesters, they, they just uh, had to leave the country. They, they came to other, other neighboring countries, but they, they have now coalition, coalition of women's protesters that they're still trying to unite women together and, you know, just uh, uh, to coordinate uh, movements, coordinate coalitions, coordinate uh, groups in Af- inside of Afghanistan and also outside of Afghanistan to, to just raise their voice. Even right in today, they, they, the same coalition of women's protesters, they um, had a big demonstration in, in Islamabad and they um, just uh, clearly to the world, they're just saying, you know, it's not possible to have a country without women. So, uh, and also people outside, uh, you know, human rights defenders, human, women's rights defenders, the uh, activists outside of Afghanistan in exile, they are not silent. They they go to universities. They talk to students there. They just go to events and they like me. They are doing podcasts and just telling the world that we are not silent. You know, we they cannot remove uh, a woman from the uh, from decision making. Uh, so I think altogether they just continue doing um, the work that we we believe that bring changes in Afghanistan. It and it's. And it, and it's coming from that hope that I'm just talking and mentioning a lot that we are not, uh, you know, we are not giving up. We are not forgetting that Afghanistan it's it's our country or it's it's our land. You know, we have roots there, and they cannot remove us. We cannot just uh, come and cut us and say, okay, these people with the idea of human rights with idea of democracy, we cut them now. There is nothing, so they they are removed. So we can, you know, we can just do whatever we want. No, it's not. We have a root there. We have strong roots that just uh, flourishing one day. And these are the everyday efforts of different people, different groups. I think it's watering those roots to to just one day they come up they and they show resistance. That's a really beautiful image of the watering of the roots. Um, and yeah, I know so much of Afghan culture uses symbols and storytelling. And so I really appreciate that, that image. Um, just to wrap up. Yeah, just to wrap up. Um, my final question would be, you know, many people will hear, will hear about what's happening in Afghanistan. And even today we had, a you know, a walkout event, a rally at the university and at you know, after our Afghan activists spoke, people were like, but what can we do next? So mm-hmm. how can, um, you know, people who are allies of of Afghan women and allies of, uh, you know, a free Afghanistan, how can we combat those human rights violations that are happening in Afghanistan? Right. Um, I, I just want to emphasize a lot on the role of... Uh, uh, allies for Afghan, free Afghanistan because we are together and we should not give up together uh, for for that country to be free of uh, extremist um, Taliban. And specifically here, I will mention about Canada's Canadians' role because I I feel like they are playing a 
pivotal role in supporting Afghan women and Afghanistan. Um, but specifically, they can raise their, their their raise awareness about what is happening in Afghanistan, the human rights violations, and the struggles of Afghan women and uh, Afghan people, and amplifying voices of of, uh, of Afghanistan and people of Afghanistan and their demands. You know, they they have a different demands of the Taliban and uh, people who are inside, and also the people who are in exile, and. Uh, advocating for the policies that prioritizing human rights on the top of the decisions. Because when we think about other countries, we we, we believe that, okay, based on the democratic uh, values and based on human rights, what are, what are the best uh, approach to take? And for Afghanistan, it's the same because those are the people who are living there. They are people, they are humans, and they are individuals with you know, with the understanding of their rights, and they they want to see that uh, the, the policymakers and decision makers considering when they are making decisions, or they go and engage with the with this Taliban, human rights, and also democracy. These are the values that uh, are so important for for our people. And uh, specifically about Canada, it's uh, it's a country with the feminist foreign policy. And they need to emphasize on policy to advance gender equality and empowering women and girls in Afghanistan. And they can do it either by pushing the Taliban's request for recognition or advocating on behalf of Afghan women and girls or Afghan people, Afghanistan people in international stages. You know, sometimes we are not there. We we don't have a representative. And, you know, when, when the other representative of Canada or other countries, they are they are there, they should consider, you know, we actually want them to to think about their, their policy making and decision making because they say, you know, our values are based on the on human rights or you know, feminists are part of part of our foreign policy. And first finally, I think fostering partnership with organizations uh, which are dedicated to education, healthcare, and empowerment actually can be a tangible difference, but not only including women as beneficiaries, uh, but also women as implementers and women who are leading these efforts uh, in, in, in country and also outside of country. Sometimes uh, if if some foreigners coming together to, you know, for example, to, to help Afghanistan, that is so valuable, that, that is so important to do it. But take advice from... Afghan Afghanistan people and also from who have worked with with the Afghanistan for many years and they they know the the reality on the ground they they have roots they have networks and they can help for better implementation and to avoid discrimination for example in 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 programs and reaching all of these vulnerable groups uh, religious minority groups and in Afghanistan who are you know the most un, under the restriction and also uh, not benefiting from the internationals uh, aids in Afghanistan. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Fatima. I could talk to you for hours and we have had long conversations before, but thanks for taking the time to share, you know, just um, a small snippet of what we could have talked about um, around Afghanistan and telling us from your perspective and sharing some of your personal stories about why it's so important to engage and be allies and, and support Afghan women. So thank you so much.
Yeah, I would uh, appreciate uh, your time and also your your attention for around the around the issue related to Afghanistan and be very supportive for my people and also for my country. Thank you very much for your time as well.